What would your life look like if you felt confident in your body and in your health habits? We believe that confidence is possible for all people. This is the Free Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Dylan Murphy, registered dietitian and owner of Free Method Nutrition. We are dedicated to empowering women to make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. Come hang with us each week as we have conversations that will inspire you to live a life of freedom. Let's dive into today's show. Okay, I am so excited about this episode. This is going to be juicy. We are going to be talking all things organic versus non-organic, also known as conventional food. This is a very maybe hot topic. I think it's like forever been a hot topic. You know, I feel like in in diet culture and wellness culture, there's certain trends that maybe come and go. Like, I don't know, celery juice comes to mind. I feel like people talked about that 24-7 a few years ago. And now, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I heard someone talk about celery juice. Organic versus conventional food is something that's like just kind of always been around. We'll probably always be around. It's something I talk about a lot in client sessions. It's one of those questions that I often get asked of, okay, organic versus non-organic. Does it make a difference? Which one should I buy? Does it matter? And I figured let's talk about it on the podcast as well, because there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of misleading information, fear-mongering, all of the above when it comes to organic or conventional food. So On my Instagram, I asked some questions because I just was curious to hear from y'all. I know what some of my clients say, but I was just curious to hear from other people. So the first question I asked y'all was, do you typically buy organic food? Do you typically buy conventional food? Do you buy a mix of both? What I found was 70% of people who voted said they buy a mix, which that doesn't really shock me. That's what kind of I was assuming most people would say. 28% said they buy all conventional, 2% said they buy all organic. Now, also, this poll has only been up on my Instagram for three hours, but we've got quite a bit of responses. So yeah, so most of the people who probably are also listening to this podcast, maybe you kind of resonate with that, of a majority kind of buy some organic, some non-organic. Maybe there's some of you who don't really buy any organic, and maybe there's a few of you listening who are like, ride or die, everything organic or else. So when I asked if you do buy organic, why do you buy? This is where it gets juicy. And this is what we're going to talk a lot about. But I just wanted to read some responses because there was a lot of reoccurring things. So people said pesticides, other chemicals on certain fruits and veggies. It's better for the environment. Um, I go to Costco, buy in bulk, can't find anywhere else. I want to make sure I buy organic canned foods. They're going to have less sodium. Conventional didn't look good that day or it was out of stock. To reduce man-made additives, it makes me feel better. Um, I'm not sure if that is meaning feel better physically, feel better mentally, maybe both. Maybe the way I'm interpreting it is like feel better mentally. No harmful chemicals, pesticides. I'm going to buy um, eggs, meat, milk, organic. Let's see what else. Support farming practices that build healthy soil, avoid antibiotics in meat products, reduce exposure to chemical herbicides and pesticides. 
some again of that, like, does the conventional look better? Does the organic look better? Kind of just from like appearance, no chemicals, something about it almost feels fun for me. And this particular person says, I don't know if this is the eating disorder brain or just because I never have to buy organic. So it kind of feels almost like a splurge when you can buy organic. So those are some of the responses that we got, which yeah, I thought was very interesting and kind of goes into a lot of what I want to spend some time debunking because what you probably heard often through that was a lot of talk around chemicals and pesticides and not wanting to eat additives and man-made food and that sort of thing, or man-made ingredients, I think was what that person said, man-made additives in our diet. So what often happens in this day and age of TikTok and Instagram and Dr. Google is you see some crazy headline, someone makes this super eye-catching TikTok And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to eat organic the rest of my life or else all of these dramatic things are going to happen. But what we so often don't do in this day and age is actually dig deeper to see, is that actually true? Is what this person's saying actually found in legit evidence research? Or is this person just saying something catchy that maybe they saw someone else, that that person saw someone else, where it's kind of like that game of telephone, you know, where you like whisper a word to someone and then that next person whispers it to the next person and you go 10 people down and the word at first was a carton of eggs and then the person at the end said a brick house. Now, I don't know, that probably makes no sense. But that's how information can so often be nowadays. Someone hears something, they tell someone else. And then as it gets to this influencer who's posting about on TikTok, it's like, is that even true? Who knows? Let's do some fact checking. So I did all that for you, the hard work. So if you've tuned into this, I'm making it easy by just telling you what I looked into. Now, if you've been here a while, you know that I am a registered dietitian, so I consider myself an expert in nutrition. Um, I, you know, in my schooling had to do a lot of research, had to interpret a lot of research, had to read a lot of research articles. Um, so I kind of felt like I was just going back to school for a day. But yeah, so let's let's talk about what the research is. So there was a peer-reviewed paper that was done in 2011. One thing when it comes to research, you want to see like, how long ago was this done? Was this done like in 1997 or was this done relatively recently? Now, obviously research can take a while, takes a lot of money. And so 2011 isn't too outdated when it comes to research. Anyway, back to the point. (laughs) The paper was published in the Journal of Toxicology, examined the EWG, their list, which is the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 if you're familiar with that. If not, I'll tell you about it. (laughs) Either way, I'm going to tell you about it, whether you're familiar with it or not. Um, The EWG created the Dirty Dozen and in conjunction the Clean 15 in 1995. What this is, is it's a report they put out every year saying, as it kind of implies, the Dirty Dozen being, these are the foods that are the like fruit or vegetable, the produce that are going to be highest in different chemicals and additives and pesticides, et cetera, et cetera. The clean 15 then are the ones that are going to be the lowest. Dirty, clean. Dirty, avoid, clean, you can eat. Now, 
we're going to get to like the validity behind that if there is any in a minute. But on Instagram, I asked y'all if you were familiar with the Dirty Dozen, if that's something that you had even heard about before, if that was new to you. So a little over half of y'all were like, yeah, I know what that is. 66% of y'all have heard of it. 34 had not. But then I also asked, does that impact your decision to buy organic versus conventional? So this was interesting to me. It was kind of half and half. Again, this has been up on my store for like three hours. So it could change in the next 21 hours that's on my story. But 42% of y'all said it does impact your shopping decisions. 58 of you said it doesn't. Um, Now, obviously with this, it's hard to know the people who answered this, are they the ones who say that they do buy organic or that they don't, you know, take it or leave it. Um, But I think just for you listening, what I would ask yourself is, one, had you heard of the Dirty Dozen before I mentioned it just now? If you had, does it impact whether you buy those specific items organic or not? So, oh my gosh, I have to buy the Dirty, dirty Dozen organic. The other ones, doesn't really matter. Clean 15, sure, won't buy them organic. Or you just, hey, I'm buying all organic, you know, depending where you fall in that camp, like the responses I listed earlier. So going back to this study that was going to examine the EWG's list and their methodology for developing the list. So basically, how do they come up with this dirty dozen? How do they decide these 12 fruits or vegetables, these 12 produce are high in pesticides, high in chemicals? You need to avoid them. So the study was like, you know what? Let's, let's figure this out. They tested 120 exposure estimates in the Dirty Dozen to see where they fell in terms of chronic reference dose. Now, you may be like, what is chronic reference dose? Great question, I will tell you. Chronic reference dose is developed by the EPA. It's an estimate of daily oral exposure to the human population that is likely to be without any risk, so not cause any risk, any impact, no harmful side effects Side effects during your lifetime. So basically, it's like, what is the max amount that you can be exposed to a certain chemical, a certain pesticide, et cetera, et cetera, without it having any risk on your overall health throughout your lifetime? This is like the daily exposure. So how much in a day can you be exposed to something? What is that like upper limit is another word we can use for it. Now, this is where it gets interesting. What this research found is that exposure to the most common detected, commonly detected pesticides on the dirty dozen list pose negligible risk to consumers. So the common pesticides that are detected On this list of the 12 produce items that EWG is saying, you must buy these organic. Sure, they might not be saying must buy, but they're saying these you should probably buy organic. Those pesticides pose negligible risk to consumers. Substitutions of organic forms of the dirty dozen for conventional forms, aka non-organic, has no noticeable effect or risk to the consumer. So has no noticeable effect, doesn't pose any risk to the consumer. This last one is where it gets like really juicy. 
The methodology used by the EWG to rank commodities, aka produce, with respect to pesticide risk lacks scientific credibility. Hello. So this is saying the the method that the EWG uses to rank fruits and vegetables on this dirty dozen list in respect to the pesticides that they have literally has no scientific credibility. So yeah. <laughs> now, okay, so that was the finding. So let's dig into a little bit of that um, without getting too, you know, technical and scientific and all of that. But I just think it's very interesting because this is not really what we hear. You know, what you see on social media, what you hear when people are talking about the dirty dozen, you probably see this like beautiful Instagram graphic, this super trendy TikTok video talking about here are the 12 dirty dozen, like make sure to buy these organic. And you probably instantly are like, okay, sure. I'm going to buy spinach organic. I'm going to buy strawberries. I'm going to buy these. I'll buy them organic. Dirty dozen. It's catchy. I'll remember that without really digging deeper to like, wait, do I actually need to do that? What does the dirty dozen mean? How do they decide these are the dirty dozen? So when this study was conducted, only one of the 120 exposure estimates exceeded 1% one percent of the reference dose. So that's saying the daily amount, that max daily amount, it only reached like one percent. So a hundred percent would be like, hey, I've reached my max, literally can't be exposed to any more of this without having harmful side effects. It only reached one percent. Seven exposures exceeded 0.1 percent of the reference dose. Three quarters of the pesticide commodity combinations demonstrated exposure estimates below 0.01%. AKA it has so little pesticides based on the ratio that you can actually like healthfully be exposed to in a day without it having harmful side effects. It has so little amount. And then getting even lower, 40 0.8% had exposure estimates below 0.001 of the reference dose. So what all of those numbers are saying is all of these different exposures, so pesticides and antibiotics and chemicals and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have very low reference doses which means it's not getting into that limit where it's like, ooh, there is a lot of pesticides on these strawberries. If I eat a cup of strawberries, I'm going to be exposed to 100% of my reference dose of pesticides and things are going to get sketchy. No, it's there's like such a minuscule amount. So to put this in perspective, exposure at 0.01% of the reference dose represents an exposure 1 million times lower than the non-observable adverse effect level, aka the highest amount given to the most sensitive animal species on a daily basis. Now, a lot of this is probably like, whoa, Dylan, like I am not like a research person. I'm not a dietitian, I'm not in agriculture, like I don't know what this means. And that's okay. 
I just like to share this because I'm like, there's probably some people out there that are like, this is what I needed to hear. Basically, to summarize everything that I'm saying, this is saying that the exposure to pesticides in conventional foods, produce specifically, is so minimal, so trivial, if even impactful at all in terms of potential human health effects. So it has such low exposure, one million times lower than the non-observable adverse effect level. And again, what that means, it's like that's the highest amount given to the most sensitive animal species. So okay, whoever would have like what animal species would have the lowest reference dose that they could tolerate without it getting to that unhealthy level or harmful level. Okay, so that's the research, research presented. What we see here is that the EWG is very misleading with the dirty dozen. I mentioned that a little bit earlier when it was talking about how, you know, a lot of this lacks scientific, like, data. It's not very credible. I mean, they find a way to create the dirty dozen, and I'm sure I could, you know, go into how how they do that. But what we actually see to be true, sure, maybe on the list, it's like those 12 are the higher, highest in pesticides, et cetera, but the amount of pesticides on those strawberries is so minuscule, it's not going to impact you from a health perspective. The, the amount you're being exposed to is so astronomically low, it's not impacting you. Okay, so let's kind of dig into this and see where we go from here. What we see, and again, going even back to like Dirty Dozen, Clean 15, we see a lot of fear mongering, a lot of like good versus bad. Okay, I'm good if I order or if I buy organic, I'm bad if I buy conventional. And so associating your morality with what you buy, like, okay, good. At least I bought, you know, organic spinach. I I feel so much better about myself. I'm being so healthy. I'm taking such good care of my body. When in reality, what we see is your body's still going to get great nutrients from the organic or the conventional. It's going to be fine either way. So there's a lot, again, of fear-mongering that can go into this. Again, if you think about how this may be portrayed on social media, on certain articles, et cetera, et cetera. Also something that's like probably should even be said like before I even like got into all of this, being able to have this conversation about organic versus conventional is a very like privileged thing to be able to do because organic food is obviously more expensive than conventional. So there's people, and this is a conversation I have all the time with clients. Some people can't afford to buy organic food. It's just not within the budget or what we find, what I so often see, people are breaking the bank because they feel like they have to buy organic and then other areas of their life are having to suffer or they'd be able to save more money. They'd be able to spend money somewhere else instead of spending it on organic foods. What's interesting, research has shown that messaging around the Dirty Dozen has actually made low-income consumers less likely to purchase any produce in general, whether it's organic or conventional. Because think about it. Again, going back to the fear-mongering, if someone's saying, hey, 
dirty dozen, avoid these. These have chemicals. These chemicals are harmful for you. Of course, you're not going to want to eat it if it feels like this harmful thing. Oh my gosh, this could impact my fertility. This could give me cancer. This could do this. This could do that. You're not going to want to eat it, right? But then if you can't afford to buy organic fruits or vegetables, organic food in general, then you're not going to buy the conventional fruit or vegetable that apparently is going to give you cancer, impact your fertility, et cetera, et cetera. When in reality, it's like, one, we already talked about all the research and there's so many nutrient benefits to fruits and vegetables, regardless if it's organic or non-organic. Okay. So then let's say, sure, there, there are, there's going to be residue on your food, fruits and vegetables, whether it's organic, whether it's conventional, but with the pesticides or whatever that are on your fruits and vegetables, all you have to do is do some cleaning, clean your fruits and veggies before you eat them. And that will take off some of those pesticides as well. Now, we've already talked about how there's such a low amount you're even being exposed to that's not harmful for you. So if you don't wash your apple, you will be fine. But if that's something that does worry you, even knowing the research of how low of an impact that the amount on that apple will have for you. If it still brings you peace of mind, wash your apple. That is great. Wash it with some dish soap. You get some fruit and veggie wash and just wash away. That's great. Now, kind of taking a, not necessarily a tangent, but going another route because I know some of y'all might be thinking, okay, well, isn't there like more health benefit to the organic versus non-organic? And I'm pretty sure, I don't have y'all's responses up now, but I'm pretty sure a few people said that as well. Of like, well, isn't, you know, organic fruits and veggies healthier? Not necessarily. Research has found that there's very little difference in nutritional content aside from higher phosphorus levels in a lot of organic foods and higher omega-3 fatty acid content in organic milk and chicken. So you may find, hey, I like the taste of organic chicken better than regular chicken. Again, kind of going with what we just talked about, about the privileged aspect. If this is something that I can genuinely afford, I have the means to be able to buy organic chicken and not conventional chicken, and I prefer the taste, suit yourself. That's great. Do it. Buy the organic chicken. But if you recognize, I don't have the money to do this. Sure, maybe I notice the taste, but I don't have the money to do this. Or I don't really notice the difference. So there's not that big of a nutritional difference. Again, it was saying organic milk and chicken does have a higher omega-3 fatty acid content. And some organic foods are going to have higher phosphorus levels. But if you're having a well-balanced diet, if you're getting a variety of fruits and vegetables, fiber, protein, fats, all the things, your phosphorus levels should be fine. Obviously, there's nuance there depending on certain medical conditions, but all in all, you should be fine. Now, because I know people mentioned this in the comments, organic doesn't necessarily mean safe and sustainable. So I think it's easy to kind of group, like to kind of put two and two together of, okay, well, organic means they have safe farming practices. It's sustainable. It's better for the environment. And there's really never a clear cut answer when we're talking about something like that. 
So in a research article I reviewed about this topic of organic farming versus conventional farming, what one of the researchers said is all conventional is not the same and all organic is not the same. So basically, sure, there's some organic farming methods out there that are more sustainable, have more safe practices, take amazing care of their farmers than maybe some conventional farms do. And the opposite is true. There's some conventional farms out there that have very safe practices and are very sustainable and take great care of their farmers. And they're conventional. They're not organic. So I think with that, it's really digging into kind of personal preference. And again, checking the reason that you're buying it of like, am I buying this organic chicken or this organic produce because I feel like a better person, because I feel like I'm healthier, it increases, impacts my morality, or am I buying it because I enjoy the taste or I have the financial means to, and this is where I want to spend my money. I want to support this farmer. So I think a lot of this is really good and clear on your specific motivation. Now, some differences when it comes to organic farming systems and conventional farming systems. This was done by the USDA. Organic systems can have a more fertile soil. They do often use less fertilizer and less herbicides. Again, with the caveat of what we talked about earlier, how even the conventional, they're not using an amount that's going to be harmful for your health. They use less energy. They lock away more carbon in the soil. They're more profitable for farmers obviously, because it's more expensive. If those things are important to you, then by all means, buy organic. But the conventional systems have higher yields, are better at reducing erosion. So again, it's it really comes down to personal preference. It comes down to what is motivating your decision. Because what I can tell you, and after many conversations I've had with clients, if your motivation is coming from more of that like, food morality, or this is going to be a healthier choice, then there's probably some deeper work that needs to be done. If it's coming from, I enjoy the taste, I can afford it, then that's great. Or I like, you know, this does use less energy, et cetera, et cetera. But to say, oh, I buy organic because it's safer and it's more sustainable is not necessarily true. Unless you know hey, this specific farm that I buy from is safe and sustainable. But to say organic equals safe and sustainable is not true. And just like we can't say conventional equals safe and sustainable, it really just depends on the farm. And so with that, if that's really important to you, shopping at your local farmer's market, getting a CSA basket is a great way to know, hey, I know the farmer, one of the farmers. I buy from him every week at the farmer's market. I buy their CSA baskets. Then you can have that peace of mind to know more about the farming practices. At your farmer's market, when you get a CSA basket, ask them about their farming practices so that you can learn more if that's something that's really important to you. And also, if as you're listening to this, you're like, I don't really care, that's okay. And with that, it's like, 
then just buy conventional chicken, buy conventional apples, save your money. So again, if it's all about health, conventional is just as good. If you care a lot about the environment, sustainability, the pay that farmers get, how farmers are treated, there may be some benefit to organic, but there may not. Again, because we said not all organic farms are the same, not all conventional farms are the same. So really my goal with this episode is to present to you the research to help you understand when it comes from these like fear-mongering health claims, the dirty dozen and that sort of thing, that that's not rooted in, it's not valid. It's not scientifically based. So if that's impacting you buying organic versus non-organic, you probably can save your money. If you're buying organic for, you know, farming, et cetera, et cetera, I've said that over and over, do with what you wish, research more into the farm, et cetera. All in all, I hope this gives you peace of mind. Maybe this helps you save some money on organic foods and buying more conventional foods. And at the end of the day, I think this just loops into a lot of what we talk about here at Free Method of really getting to a place where we can allow all foods to fit, not feel like we're a bad person if we eat conventional spinach instead of organic. And if as you're listening to this, you're like, gosh, I feel like I need more help in this journey. I need more help making peace with food, not feeling guilty for eating conventional food instead of organic. We would be happy to support you in your journey. That's a lot of what the work we do with clients, helping them make peace with food. And sometimes that may look like specific foods of like, hey, I feel a lot of fear around eating carbs. And sometimes it is a little more, I guess, even more specific of like, hey, organic. I feel like I should only eat organic. That's what I was taught growing up. We can work on that and get to a place where you can choose organic or conventional for the right reasons. So if working with our team is something that may benefit you, if you want to schedule a free call so we can see if it would be a good fit, you can head to freemethodnutrition.com slash free call and we can chat more. So I will see you on next week's episode. Thanks so much for joining today's episode on the Free Method Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review. That helps others discover this message of freedom. Share this with your friends and make sure you tag us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition. And if you're ready to start your own journey to freedom, I'd love to offer you a free call to chat with me about your health goals. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash free call to schedule yours. We will see you in the next episode.